Our New Testament scripture reading is from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 35 to 44. These verses complement the Old Testament passage from Song of Songs that Pastor Moody will be preaching on this morning. Additionally, Pastor Resident Gavin Lebropolis will be preaching on this passage from 1 Corinthians during tonight's 6 o'clock service. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 44. Please stand for the reading of God's word. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that it is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seen, seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. These are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. This is God's word. You may be seated. A man who had given much of his life to uh, a business founded on uh, promoting immoral physical fantasies gave an interview in the national press a few years ago. And those of us who read that interview at the time realized that we were reading about a man who had experienced bodily gratification, but not intimacy. Now, the Christian church has sometimes been labeled as being anti the body and sensual pleasure. And this is because of the influence of the Gnostics in the early church history who, for various reasons, overemphasized the body or had that impact. And so in reaction against that, the early fathers, in various other ways, ended up too strongly advocating an ascetic spirituality. That is one that views spirituality as very distant from the physical body. But in the Bible, Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 1, famously tells us that we're to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices to God. And the passage we just had read out makes it uh, clear that the Christian hope is finally a hope of a resurrected body, (laughs) not a disembodied spirit in the end. So you see, the passage uh, we're looking at this morning as we conclude our series in Song of Songs uh, from chapter 6, verse 4, all the way to the end of the book, chapter 8, verse 14. We're going to look at it uh, briefly this morning, but it's really all about three things. It's about the delights, the dangers, and security of physical intimacy. Well, first then, the delights. Delights. 
you look down uh, the Bible, as I say, it begins in chapter 6, verse 4, and this section goes to the end of chapter 7, that is verse 13, and it's saying that intimacy is intended by God to be a delight. It's a God-designed delight. It is Genesis chapter 2, before the fall, not Genesis chapter 3, in design. And this passage illustrates this in three ways. It is awe or respect, that's verses 4 to 10, and then play, uh, verses 11 to the beginning of chapter 7, and then body and personality together, and that's significant, we'll see that in a moment, verses 1 to 13 of chapter 7. So awe, that is verses 4 to 10, and as you look down with me at the Bible, would you compare verse 4 with verse 10, and you'll see the phrase there, Awesome as an army with banners. It's repeated at the beginning and end of this section. And that's a way to emphasize the importance of the message, which is to treat each other in marriage with awe. Awesome as an army of banners. Awe or respect. Well, that's why in verse 5 it says, Turn your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. It's, It's an awesome prospect. There's there's an awe with which the other person is regarded. Or verse 8, there can be a lot of beautiful people in the world, princesses famed for their beauty because they have the time and money to prune themselves as they still do today. Or concubines who were also famous for their beauty because they were chosen for their beauty. Uh, The equivalent today might be models and cosmopolitan or something like that. Beautiful. Famed for their beauty, these people. But in this marriage, verse 9, says, she is the perfect one. She's the one. And so they're married now, and if you ever wonder whether you married the one, when you're married, you did. She's the one. He's the one. The perfect one. And so a healthy marriage delights because it treats the other person with awe, not triviality. Respect, not merely conviviality. A sense of wonder, not over-familiarity. They're married now, this couple, yet they're not taking each other for granted. The other is still awesome as an army with banners. (laughs) Well, perhaps if you are married uh, this morning and you feel that your delight is waning, maybe the first step is just to see the other as made in the image of God, a child of God, an eternal being, awesome as an army with banners. Or more briefly then, in this section, delight is also fueled, not just by awe, but by play. This is verses 11 of chapter 6 to chapter 7, the beginning of verse 1. And it seems to me here that they're playing in the garden, verse 11. And then verse 12, they're playing horses and chariots. And the friends, or others, again, this is one of these poetic devices. This is a poem, remember, a song. Poetic device indicating their mutual playfulness, their internal language of their hearts and minds. The the others kind of laugh along as they they play together, and she's playing the game of hard to get. So they say, return, return, verse 13. They're they're chasing each other around the dining room table at home. See? And and then there's a dance, Uh, the, uh, the dance between two armies. And that's probably referring to some Israelite version of a barn dance. They're doing the do-si-do together. 
They're dancing around together. They're doing Gangnam Style. You know? Uh, to quote the Korean rapper at the top of the charts in the moment. Uh, they have pet names for each other, like lovers do, and playful names. Uh, she is the Shulamite. Now, we, no one knows really why uh, she was called that. I wonder whether it's a derivation from Solomon. And so, in a sense, she's saying, you know, I'm your Solomon-y Wallamy. See? And uh, she is the noble daughter or princess. And so, in English history, one English king and wife referred to each other endearingly. It's known as Kingy and Queenie. And they're doing something like that. Or play. Both those fuel intimacy. You need both of those. But also here, body and together with personality. This is chapter 7. Now, chapter 7 obviously describes the body in some sensual detail. And it's using again that poetic form we've seen a couple of times in this song. This time it's going from the feet to the head rather than the other way around. And so there is all that there. But sometimes overlooked is the focused attention given to the face. So verse 4, the eyes. As we say, the eyes are the window of the soul. See? And the idiosyncratic nature, the strange nature of some of these images to us is not just, I think, because it's a different culture. It's because lovers say strange things about each other. It's part of the language of love. And, and they're emphasizing this by choosing and, and recording this kind of language. is emphasizing this, the sort of Tower of Lebanon, your nose being like that, isn't just strange. It's the way that you talk to another person when you treat that other person as a person, not just a body, strawberries and cream, complexion, rosebud lips, you see, or play, body, but together with personality, not just body, body and personality together. And it seems to me these three emphases, respect, playfulness, the personality of the other, well, they will do much to give delight to God's design for intimacy. But there's not only delight in the end of this book here, there are also second dangers. This is verses 1 to 9 of chapter 8. And that section is telling us that intimacy outside of God's design is dangerous. And so first it describes premarital danger, that's verses 1 to 4. And then extramarital danger, that's verses 5 to 7. Verses 1 to 4 then describe the longing that exists for a couple in love to be able to consummate their relationship. Uh, but it concludes with that typical warning in Song of Songs to not stir up or awaken love until it so desires. Now we've looked at this repeated phrase in Song of Songs from a number of different angles. Here in this context, it's simply saying, it seems to me, that while the desire to consummate a relationship is perfectly natural, we are to be warned against doing so before marriage. Now, there's a way back to God, if that has been your experience, but there's a warning here. It leads to unnecessary pain and difficulty. So there's that uh, danger. But then also verses 5 to 7, the same Danger of intimacy outside of God's design is described in relation to extra marital 
affairs. Anything outside of God's design is is not uh, what is intended, and so it describes in relation to extramarital affairs. And so verse 6 describes the covenant of marriage. It is a seal upon your hearts, a seal upon your arm. We just had that beautiful singing from the choir reflecting these words. Now, why is seal used here? It's because in the ancient world, these seals, or bullae, as they're known to scholars, were specifically designed with a purpose. They were only to be opened by the intended recipient of the document, you see. So today, we have electronic files, don't we? We attach a file to an email or something like that. Well, these were not just a read-only file. They were a password-locked file that only the intended recipient was meant to open. Well, that's marriage. It's sealed. It's it's not just a deal whereby you get what you thought you were going to get, and then it's okay. But if you do not receive what you thought you were going to receive, the deal is off. It's not just a deal. It's a covenant. It's a seal intended only for one other person alone. Until death parts. Now you say, why until death parts? Well, it tells us that's because this is the nature of love in God's design. This is the way it works. So it says, because love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It is till death us do part because that is the nature of this love in God's intention. Only death can break it. Now, we just need to take a pause here and apply this in a couple of ways. In a congregation like this, you may think this is unnecessary, but in any large group, it is always necessary to say these things. And so if you are in an extramarital affair now, now I urge you by the Word of God, look at the pictures here that the Word uses, flashes of fire. Or I urge you, by the Word of God, look at this picture, by the very flame of the Lord. Couldn't get much more graphic than that. I urge you, by the flashes of fire, by the very flame of the Lord, to flee that danger. And once again, you may think it's not necessary in a congregation like this, but once again, in any large group, it must be said when we talk of these topics if you are being tempted to move forward towards a relationship extramaritally, if you're considering that, even this morning, I tell you you're playing with something as strong as death and a jealousy as fierce as the grave. Play with this stuff. It is dangerous. It is a God-designed glue to keep a man and a woman together for life. Now, there is no fool so great as he who gives in to what one poet called lust, that sniveling boy. So there are dangers. And there's a hint here of a way to avoid them as well. The mother, of course, makes a rather strange entrance into this section, and we could talk about that at great length, but it seems to me that basically what is being affirmed here is what is often said drawing from Genesis chapter 2, that it's very important that a married couple both leave the mother-father the mother, shape 
from the background and cleave to a new sealed union. And very often, both before marriage and when there are marriage troubles, that is somehow that specter is in the background. We need to leave the mother-father shape and cleave to the new union, the new Adam and Eve, you see. And so this is intimacy, isn't it? It's delightful within God's design. Anything outside of that, though, is dangerous. But then third, and finally, at the end of this series and the end of this chapter, it's also a source of, third, security. Now, this is verses 10 to 14 of chapter 8. And there are many motivations for intimacy within marriage, of course, but one motivation that is given here is that uh, it is in God's design, it is a provision for security within the relationship. And this seems to be the point of verse 10. It's saying that intimacy is a form of defensive warfare. And so the tower and the wall... The the strong city, the castle, the fortified cities that were famous at this time in the ancient world of Jerusalem and others, it's indicating that intimacy in marriage is God's means of protecting that relationship. It's it's defensive warfare. It It will keep you together. Keep on gluing you together. It's defensive warfare. But it's also, uh, verses 11 to 12, not only defensive warfare, it's also a gift. A gift. You see, unlike the commercial transaction of business, intimacy is only a gift. And so it's not a literal vineyard with tenants which can be bought and sold. It's not a product. Intimacy is a gift. And this is why those who seek intimacy at the end of a credit card will be disappointed. It's my own vineyard, mine to give. And so you can have physical contact at the end of a credit card, but you cannot have intimacy by that means. It's not how it works. No, intimacy must be given freely, it cannot be bought, and it cannot be taken by the way, can only be given. And so intimacy is defensive warfare, it is a gift, and it is an ongoing adventure. (laughs) Look how it concludes with sort of expanding vistas of mountains. Uh, It's uh, verses 13 to 14, and so he calls on her to shout out loud, And she calls on him to be like a gazelle, an antelope, a young stag, these energetic, adventurous images, bounding on mountains, the adventurous vista of mountain ranges ever expanding before them. And so this love of theirs is an ongoing excitement. It's an adventure. It does not stop at the wedding or after ten years. Or retirement. It's a constantly expanding adventure through the mountains. Also, as we come to the end of Song of Songs, let me remind you of our overall theme. This book is about human marriage. But marriage, well, that is about something else. 
Christ's love for the church, according to Ephesians chapter 5, our New Testament controlling interpretive paradigm. What that means is if you're married, your marriage is designed as a pulpit. It's designed to proclaim a message, the message of the delight of intimacy, the dangers of stepping outside that covenant and the ongoing adventure of a relationship with Christ. Well, of course, there is an even better picture of Christ's love for the church available to us this morning. A feast of love which all Christians, single or married, can participate as wine to drink, a body that is broken for sinners like you and me. Let's pray as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. Father, we thank you for the picture of marriage that points us to Christ and his love. And we pray this morning that you would set a seal upon the hearts of all those who are married. Father, we pray that for all of us, you would use that image of Christ's love for the church to point us to him himself. And Father, as we come to communion, the table, we pray that the image here ordained by Jesus himself would speak of a love for sinners that would refresh and renew your disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.